Let's pray. Father, again, we are grateful for a place where we can come, assemble, be together. Uh, we who bear your name and to gather under your word to be instructed, that we might grow. That we might look at ourselves and look at you and look at the world in a, in a more clear manner. We might understand better how to live and how to honor you. So I pray your blessings this morning upon our time together in this class, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak this morning about the problem with preachers and congregations. 1 Corinthians 12 I want to read verses 4 through 7. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, that's going to be true for all of us, regardless of the role that we have in the church. And we do all have a role. We all have a place. We've all been given gifts to be used for the benefit of all. And sometimes it takes a while to find out where those gifts can be used. And sometimes they're in an official capacity, for example, as an officer of the church, a pastor, an elder, a deacon. But every one of us have been blessed and given different gifts. As I like to say when someone joins the church, everyone brings assets. What else do they bring? Liabilities. Uh, And it takes a while to figure out what those are. In fact, we're all trying to figure that out for ourselves frequently. And oftentimes the things we're good at, we're too good at. So sometimes our gifts also turn out, our, our Our assets turn out also to be our liabilities. And so part of why God puts us together, there are many reasons God puts us together, but is to moderate one another on the one hand, to to hold us back where we need held back, but also to encourage us, to equip us and instruct us so that we can be stronger in the areas we're weak, but also so that we can serve and, what, be served. So that's how we love each other, by sacrificing for one another, by using the gifts that we have to the best of our ability. And um, oftentimes we'll find someone, whether it's a preacher or a member of the congregation, that's extremely good at something and then very weak in other areas because as human beings we're not just one thing. Sometimes you'll see someone who is extremely gifted let's say, in, in, in the world, in, in math, but they can't tie their shoes. Uh, so there's all kinds of things that we might be really good at, maybe a very gifted musician, but not particularly good at some other task. That's why we need each other. God wants us to be dependent upon each other, but that also, because of these human limitations that every one of us have, 
we also have to extend grace to one another. We have to be kind to one another. We have to recognize that not everybody has all the gifts and that we do, therefore, need one another. And, uh, and we're going to come alongside each other to accomplish that. Now, when it comes to the question, for example, of uh, teaching and preaching, which is the public thing that we do, we do this each Lord's Day and some on Wednesday nights and occasionally with Bible studies, as, as God uh, calls certain people to come to instruct us, we need to understand that there is in, inevitably a variety of gifts, but also a variety of methods. I don't know how many preachers you've heard, uh, teachers. I don't know how many I've heard. But I was thinking about this the other day, and I thought about how many of them would I put in the great category? And I've uh, been at this a long time, and I've listened to a lot, and there aren't very many that I would put in the great category. And so if we took the ones that were great, think of a preacher or a teacher that you think is great, and if I were to ask you, <clears throat> excuse me, if you were trying to do this, could you find something to be critical of? Something that maybe even among, even by someone who's great, you might say, well, I really don't like the way they say this word, pronounce this word, or I don't like this or that. In other words, we could find fault with even the great. And I'm reminded that in the Bible we're told that God doesn't choose very many great people. Preachers or otherwise. He likes to, he likes to choose People who have weakness. Why? Why does he like to use weak things? What happens when he uses a weak vessel? His strength is shown. And who gets the glory? You know, when a, when a shepherd boy goes out with some smooth stones and takes down a giant, our first thought is, how did that happen? The Lord gets the glory. The battle is the Lord's. And so the Lord likes to take a stuttering Moses to lead his people. He takes Paul, who says, I didn't come to you with eloquence. In fact, we have an example of Paul's preaching. Apparently he was a little long-winded. A guy falling out of a window because he fell asleep during a sermon. Um, so there, is, there are a variety of methods and gifts. We don't all learn the same way. We don't all teach the same way. And so God gives us this great diversity in the church. Think about how diverse this group is here. Different ages. You've got males, females, adults, and children. And every single person here is unique. Everybody has different things to contribute. Everybody has different needs. But together, God brings us to build this body, the church. And... Part of what he's called us to when he says to give thanks for all things, to rejoice in and for all things, I thought about this quite a while back, that when God says that, first of all, there are only a couple of perfect things. God and his word. The law of the Lord is perfect. Everything else, imperfect. That includes you and me. And God says for those things, those imperfect things, 
I want you to rejoice in and for them as well. I want you to give thanks for those things as well. And so gratitude for the gifts that God gives. Doesn't it, you ever seen a child get a gift at a little birthday party and they open it up and their first response is, that's not the one I wanted. Now what do you want to do to that kid? Yeah, don't say it, just think it. <laughs> okay? And, and quickly, hopefully, mom or dad leans over and says, say thank you. Say thank you. Okay? But we're that way sometimes. We don't like the gifts God's given us. And God wants us to learn to be grateful, to be content, to be truly and deeply grateful for even the imperfect things. So, I want to, those are just a few of the remarks I wanted to make. And then I want to, I found an a, a excerpt from a sermon by George Whitfield, one of the great preachers. Uh, and he, the title, or the part of the topic here is how to listen to a sermon. And I think we could, by implication, say a lesson. And so I thought he had some very good things to point out, and it would apply to other situations, how to listen to your parents, how to listen to your school teachers, those kinds of things. So I want to read this and make a few comments along the way, and then I want to conclude with a few other remarks about this as well. I've heard, uh, heard a, a lesson on this probably 40 years ago, and it's uh, actually two of them. I think Al Martin, who's another one of the, he would be one that I put in my top five great preachers. He did a sermon on this as well. So here's from George Whitfield. Um, so here are some keys for getting the most out of what the preacher says. Uh, again, acknowledging that the preacher is not always going to give, he, he's not 100% either, but he's labored to bring you, it's kind of like a meal, okay? Sometimes the meal is filet mignon, but sometimes it's just mac and cheese. Kraft mac and cheese. Hamburger helper. Um, okay, but it's food. And so, how to get the most. Here are some cautions, uh, cautions and directions in order to help you hear sermons and lessons in a profitable way. Jesus said in Luke 8:18, 8, "Therefore take heed how you hear." I mean, you hear just when the sound waves move through the room and hit your eardrum. But Jesus says it's important how we hear. The occasion of our Lord's giving this caution was this. Jesus recognized that many of the people were gathered together to hear him, uh, that they would be hearers only and not doers of the word. And therefore, he spoke to them by way of a parable using the analogy of a sower that went out to sow his seed. So Jesus clearly perceived how few of them would receive anything, uh, any saving benefit from his teaching or bring it forth to maturity. So the, the first thing is it's very possible to hear, hear only and not to truly hear, not to really take it in, not to absorb it. While we might imagine that the application should have been obvious, nevertheless, the disciples dealt with the Lord as people ought to deal with their ministers. So, you know, you know the parable, the sower and the seed. But after it's over, the disciples 
had some questions, and so they spoke with him privately about the meaning of the parable that he had given. The things that he taught in public, they went to him in private to say, can you give us some further explanation? And, and they did so with a sincere desire of doing their duty, uh, and so they asked for an interpretation of the parable. So Jesus, who is always willing to instruct the teachable, that's an interesting comment because he's not always willing to try to instruct the unteachable. Here, herein setting an example for his ministers, he freely told them what he meant. Moreover, he tells them that they were to be the light of the world and they were to proclaim whatever he had told them in secret. He also told them that improving the knowledge already given to them was the only condition upon which more would be given to them. The more you know, the more you can know. The more you learn, the more you can learn. So, you know, I learned a little bit today. Well, good, that means you can learn a little bit more tomorrow that you couldn't have learned if you hadn't learned that little bit today. It's exponential. It, It accumulates Therefore, it was very important, he says, for them to take heed how they heard. From the context, then, it appears that the words were primarily spoken to the apostles themselves. However, out of the many thousands that flocked to hear sermons, only a few, comparatively speaking, are effectually influenced by them. I cannot but think it very necessary to remind you of the caution given by our Lord to his disciples, and to exhort you with the utmost earnestness to take heed how you hear. And so in prosecution of which design, I shall first say this, everyone ought to take advantage of every opportunity when they hear sermons. That they, that they have always been uh, particular, there have always been particular persons set apart by God to instruct and exhort his people to practice what he requires of them. This is evident from many passages of Scripture. Jude tells us that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied or preached concerning the Lord's coming with 10,000 of his saints to judgment. And Noah, who lived not long after, is described by Peter as a preacher of righteousness, and though in all the intermediate time between the flood and the giving of the law, we only hear of a few preachers, nevertheless we may reasonably conclude that God never left himself without a witness, but at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So God has always raised up men to speak. And as we know, we could go look at the lives of the prophets, we could look at other situations, and again, see flaws in these men, failures, and yet God used these instruments as as his messengers. Moreover, we are assured that after the delivery of the law, God constantly separated to himself a certain order of men to preach to, as well as pray for his people even though the Jews were frequently led into captivity 
and for their sins scattered abroad on the face of the earth, yet he never utterly forsook them, but still kept a remnant of prophets and preachers such as Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel and others to reprove, instruct, and call them to repentance. So even when God's people were at their very worst, God didn't abandon them. He, he still had a messenger. He still sent his word. And so the church has been infinitely better provided for under the gospel, in the New Testament, in, the, in this era. For, even, for, for when Jesus Christ, that great high priest, had through the eternal spirit offered himself as a perfect, sufficient sacrifice and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world, and after his resurrection had all power committed to him both in heaven and on earth, he gave commission to his apostles and in them to all succeeding ministers to go and preach his gospel to every creature promising to be with them, to guide them, to assist, strengthen, and comfort them always, even to the end of the world. But if it is the duty of ministers to preach, and woe be to them if they do not preach the gospel, for a necessity is laid upon them, no doubt the people are obligated to pay attention to them, for why else would ministers be sent? And how can we avoid admiring the love and tender care which our dear Redeemer has expressed for his spouse, the church? Who, because he could not be always with us in person, yet he would not leave us comfortless, but first provided a sufficient number of pastors and teachers, and afterwards, according to his promise, actually did and will continue to send his Holy Spirit to furnish them and their successors with the proper gifts and graces for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of his body and love until we all come to a unity of the Spirit, to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. So that was the first thing. God provides ministers. He always has. Spokesmen teachers and preachers. Second, I want to lay down some cautions and directions in order to help you hear sermons with profit and advantage. And so I believe there are five here, and they're very, fairly short. Number one, come to hear lessons and sermons, not out of curiosity, but from a sincere desire to know and to do your duty. To enter his house merely to have our ears entertained and not our hearts reformed must certainly be highly displeasing to the Most High God as well as unprofitable to ourselves. And so as we come to church each Sunday or to go to a Bible study or whatever, we need to go with a self-conscious attitude. I'm going there to learn something, not just something in general, not just so that I can add to my... Uh, bank of knowledge so that I can impress others, but it's really all about knowing God, knowing myself, and having my life changed. I'm coming here to learn something about how to live, about how to be a better husband or wife or parent or child or brother or sister or friend or neighbor, how to be a better child of God, how to grow, how to mature, how to love better, 
how to be sanctified, how to be more like Christ. That's why I'm coming. Uh, that is the goal. And if you, if you have that as the forefront, not just, okay, I'm being a good person and going to church, now that's over, I can go back to my regular life, but really coming with an earnest desire, coming to be fed and to grow. Second, give diligent heed to the things that are spoken from the Word of God. Diligent heed to the things spoken from the Word of God. If an earthly king were to issue a royal proclamation and the life or death of his subjects entirely dependent on performing or not performing its conditions, how eager would people be to hear what those conditions were? And shall we not pay the same respect to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and lend an attentive ear to his ministers when they are declaring in his name how our pardon, peace, and happiness may be secured? So think of ministers as ambassadors from a king who have shown up in town and said, I have a message from the king. So people gather, and then the message is delivered. And so that's, again, a perspective and an attitude to have. Number three, do not entertain even the least prejudice against the minister. That was the reason Jesus Christ himself could not do many mighty works nor preach to any great effect among those of his own country, for they were offended at him. Take heed, therefore, and beware of entertaining any dislike against those whom the Holy Spirit has made overseers over you. Consider that the ministers are men of like passions, in other words, weaknesses as well, you know, feelings, and they're just like you, they're men. And though we should even hear a person teaching others to do what he has not learned himself, you know, know, if you happen to come and you know he's preaching on something that he's not so good at either, even if that's the case, yet that is no reason for rejecting his doctrine, for ministers speak not in their own, but in Christ's name. And we know who commanded the people to do whatever the scribes and Pharisees should say unto them, even though they did not do it themselves, do themselves what they said. So in other words, if it's the truth, it's the truth. Now certainly we want our ministers to reflect that in their lives as examples, but nevertheless, if what's being preached is true, well, we should receive it as such. Number four, <clears throat> be careful not to depend too much on the preacher or think more highly of him than you ought to think. Preferring one teacher over another has often produced bad consequences for the church of God. It was a fault which the great apostle of the Gentiles condemned in the Corinthians. For whereas one said, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos, you are not carnal, says he. Are you not carnal, says he? For who is Paul and who is Apollos but instruments in, the hand, in God's hands by whom you believe? Are not all ministers sent forth to be ministering ambassadors to those who shall be heirs of salvation? And are they not all therefore greatly to be esteemed for their work's sake? And number five, make particular application to your own hearts uh, of everything that is delivered. When our Savior was discoursing at the Last Supper, 
with his beloved disciples, I think this is a great point, he foretold that one of them should betray him. Each of them immediately applied it to his own heart and said, Lord, is it, is it I? Is it me? Likewise, when preachers are calling us away from any sin or persuading us to do any duty, instead of saying, this was intended for such and such a person, instead we should all turn our thoughts inwardly and say, Lord, is it I? How much more beneficial should we find lessons and sermons if we were but to do this? Oh, and there's number six. Pray to the Lord before, during, and after every sermon, asking the Lord to endue the minister with power to speak and to grant you a will and ability to put into practice what he shall show from the book of God to be your duty. No doubt it was this consideration that made Paul so earnestly entreat his beloved Ephesians to intercede with God for him. And and then he quotes here Ephesians 6, Praying always with all manner of prayer and supplication in the Spirit for me also, that I may open my mouth with boldness to make known the mysteries of the gospel. And if so great an apostle as Paul needed the prayers of his people Much more do those ministers who have only the ordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit. If only all of of you who hear me this day would seriously apply their hearts to practice what has now been told them, then ministers would see Satan like lightning fall from heaven and the people find the word preached sharper than any two-edged sword and mighty through God for the pulling down of the devil's strongholds. The Holy Spirit would then fall on all them that hear the word, as when Peter preached. Uh, The gospel of Christ would have free course, run very swiftly, and thousands again be converted by a sermon. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has promised to be with us, with his ministers always, even to the end of the world. And the reason why we do not receive larger infusions of the blessed Spirit of God is not because our all-powerful Redeemer's hand is shortened, but because we do not expect them and we confine them to the primitive times, to the olden days. That's the way it used to work. It does indeed sometimes happen that God, to magnify his free grace in Christ Jesus, is found of them that sought him not. A notorious sinner is forcibly worked upon by a public sermon and plucked as a firebrand out of the fire. But this is not God's ordinary way of acting. No, for the generality, he only visits those with the power of his word who humbly wait to know what he would have them to do, and sends unqualified hearers not only empty, but hardened away. Take heed, therefore, ye careless, curious professors, if any such be here present, how you hear. 
Remember that whether we think of it or not, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ where ministers must give a strict account of their doctrine that they've delivered. And for you, he will be just as strict concerning how you have improved under it. And, good God, how will you be able to stand at the bar of an angry, sin-avenging judge and see so many discourses that you have despised, so many ministers who once longed and labored for the salvation of your precious and immortal souls brought out as so many swift witnesses against you? Will it be sufficient then, thank you, uh, to allege that you went to hear them only out of curiosity, to pass away an idle hour, to admire the oratory, or ridicule the simplicity of the preacher. No, God will then let you know that you ought to have come out of, a better, out of better principles, that every sermon has been put down to your account, and that you must then be justly punished for not improving by them. But fear not, you little flock, who with meekness receive the engrafted word and bring forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness, for it shall not be so with you. No, you will be your minister's joy and their crown of rejoicing in the day of the Lord Jesus, and they will present you in a holy triumph, faultless and unblameable to our common Redeemer, saying, Behold us, O Lord, and the children which thou hast given us. But still take heed how you hear, for upon your improving the grace you have, more shall be given, and you shall have an abundance. He is faithful that is promised, who will also do it. Nay, God from out of Zion shall so bless you that every sermon you hear shall communicate to you a fresh supply of spiritual knowledge. The word of God shall dwell in you richly. You shall go on from strength to strength, from one degree of grace to another, till being grown up to be a perfect, perfect men in Christ Jesus and filled with the fullness of God. You shall be translated by death to see him as he is and to sing praises before his throne with angels and archangels, cherubim and seraphim, and the general assembly of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven forever and ever. And that ends the George Whitfield exhortation. We have something to learn from everyone, not just the preacher or the teacher, but everyone. Men, women, boys, and girls, if we'll pay attention. If we think someone is beneath us, then we need to learn the first lesson that they're not. We have something to learn from everyone. Now, there are different methods and styles of teaching and learning, as I mentioned, and so we should learn. One of the problems I see sometimes, not just in our church, but in the broader church in general, is sometimes people will kind of presume that because I'm good at something, because I do something a certain way, because I like it done this way or that way, Everybody ought to do it the same way. And if they don't, then I'll be critical of them. And that's really just arrogance and pride. And instead of recognizing that God has a lot of different ways of doing the same things. Again, he likes to take nothing and do something. Um, 
Think about how he healed people, right? How did he do that? Lots of different ways. Sometimes he, somebody said, sometimes he spit, and sometimes he spit twice. And sometimes he spoke, and sometimes he spoke from a distance, and sometimes they touched the hem of his garment. You're not going to put God in a box, and God says, I can use you, and you, and you, and you. I can give it, bring it all in. I'll use all of it. The ultimate MacGyver, for those of you who know what I'm referencing. Um, he can use even you. He can use even me. And together, he uses us to accomplish great things. A lot of it just has to do with our attitude and our perspective and, our, and the grace that we show. Good students, uh, a good friend of mine, many of you know, Ben House, says, one of his many things that has stuck with me over the years, and he's a great school teacher, he says, good students can learn under bad conditions. So the question for today is, are you a good student? Not, are there sometimes bad conditions? Certainly there are. But if you're a good student, you can still learn. As do with you. That's your part. Think about Acts 17.11. Okay? These uh, Bereans that Paul, the apostle, has come to to preach, to preach to, what does it say? It says they received the word, How? What was their attitude? You know? What? Joy. Tim? With readiness of heart, uh, King James, or eagerness. And they searched the Scriptures daily. That was the Old Testament, by the way. To see if what the Apostle Paul was saying was true. Now, they didn't have a bad attitude toward Paul. They had a good attitude toward Paul. They received him, and they received the word with eagerness, readiness, enthusiasm. But they didn't just take his word for it. They went home and got their Bibles out and studied it and said, Ah, yeah, you know, what he, what he, yeah, that's right. So they confirmed his word. They didn't just take his word. They confirmed it with the word of God. Keep in mind, they didn't have a New Testament yet. And it's interesting what that text says is these Berean Christians were more noble than the Thessalonians. There was another group of Christians that apparently didn't do this. I don't know if it's they didn't receive the word with eagerness or if they didn't search the scriptures, but they didn't do whatever the Bereans were doing. And God basically says in this in Acts 17:11, there are some Christians that are better than other Christians. There are some Christians that do this well and there are some that don't. Which one do you want to be? Frequently we see in Scripture this idea of let those who have ears to hear. Hear. In other words, use your ears. Use them. And be eager. And so think of it this way in terms of the teaching and preaching in the church. It's a partnership. Every, it's like in any communication. Uh, you have to, you have to, somebody has to speak, but somebody also has to hear. Somebody has to listen. There has to be a communication or a communion that takes place in that regard. Now, it's going to be imperfect because we're imperfect on both sides, but we have to labor at this. And I want to close this, and then I think we're going to, Jana, could we uh, in a minute sing uh, Marvelous Grace um, 
So um, let me just read one other thing. Obedience is the, is the end goal. Us, because obedience is about faith. It's not about some kind of oppressive thing. We're not trying to be meritorious toward God in that sense. We've been saved by grace. But if we love God, we want to please God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And so the goal is to hear God's word. What would you have me to do? And then do it. To not be hearers only, but doers of the word. That's the goal. So the passage is Ezekiel 33. And as for you, son of man, speaking to Ezekiel, the preacher, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. That's good, right? Inviting people to church. Come hear the preacher. So they come to you. They come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So that's kind of the other side. So even when we do find a great preacher, it's also easy to just listen to the greatness and the coolness and all that and, and to fail to implement what it is we're learning. That's always the ultimate goal of what we're doing, the application of the things that we've learned. So, any comments or questions on this this morning? I hope it's an encouragement to you. It's, uh, I need to be reminded of these things, I know. Yes, Mike. Joel Osteen. Um, we, well, we, obviously, we don't want to question it if it's good doctrine. That, that was the point of Whitfield, I think, is, is instead of being nitpickers over everything, uh, but obviously if it's heresy and it's false, that's, I'd go back to the Bereans and say, well, we got our Bibles out and we couldn't find Joel Osteen, what he said in here. And so, so uh, we're not listening to him ever again. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these exhortations. Help us, Lord, to take heed how we hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.